Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom Feel the deep calling to center yourself in rich womb wisdom and share it with the world? Do you crave to go above and beyond in your facilitator practice as a lighthouse of wisdom for your community outside of the medical system? Are you excited to discover and share in the depths and rhythms of your womb and long to create a life that honors your cyclical rhythms? You know your body and blood are the fertile ground for living an inspired, radically authentic, and powerful life. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then the Blood Mystery School is for you. It's a -a one-of-a-kind and comprehensive education that blends the sacred and the science of the seasons of womanhood. It's the education that most of us didn't receive, but that all of us deserve. It's led by two powerful medicine women, Nancy Lucina and Kristen Hauser, who have 30 years of combined wisdom and knowledge that they have poured into this program. If you know this is your calling, it's time to step up the way you serve women into a full-spectrum, well-woman practice, fully outside the medical paradigm. Click the link in the show notes to join today. Space is limited, and the doors close soon. Lacine found herself quickly turning her back on medical midwifery and deciding to go it alone in her first pregnancy, despite having never even heard the term free birth. Her simple motto of, you got this, got her through her debilitating pregnancy and kept her mind clean and clear as she prepared for her birth. Lacine reminds us that you can do anything for a few minutes at a time And all you have to do to find your inner resources is to simply claim them. All right. Welcome, Lacine. Hi. Nice to be here. I'm excited to hear your stories today. I'm also feeling jealous of your gorgeous warm weather. (laughs) (laughs) It's really hot in Florida already. (laughs) It's cold today. And I'm I'm only a couple hours north of you, but... Oh, well, it's freezing. It's a big difference. So yeah, you free birthed both your daughters from the get-go. And I love those stories because as you might know, a lot of women find free birth after first experiencing birth trauma, um, you know, first being really harmed in the system or with a medicalized midwife. And so I'm always just so fascinated and, and interested in sharing the stories where, um, 
were from the get-go, you know, women are yeah. aligning with this, with this choice and avoiding so much of, so much of the, yeah, harm in the system. So you yeah. take us wherever you want to start. Like where, where is the beginning point of this story for you? How do you come to free birth? What is your, this first pregnancy like? Who are you before you become a mom? Yeah, sure. So actually, um, so I'm from Florida and I had been living in Miami for a few years and I loved Miami. To me, Miami was like everything. And some things happened and I ended up having to move back home and I didn't want to. I was not eager to be back home. I'm from the Tampa area. And I moved back home and probably a month later, I meet meet my husband because we met on Instagram actually. And he's from London and I'm what? from Florida. Yeah. So Wait, he was in London when you guys- yeah, he's- He's born and raised. He is a British man. He lives in London. <laughs> and so we meet on Instagram. Wait, so does he just like slide into your DMs? <laughs> um, what happened? So I think yeah, I followed uh, I, fa- I followed a friend of his and in that friend posted a photo and he was in that photo. So I'm like creeping through his page, but it was like nothing, you know, it's Instagram. I'm like, 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 don't like yeah. whatever. And yes, then he slides into my DMs, but my page was private at the time. So he couldn't see anything. So that's how we started talking. <laughs> oh my God, adorable. So he saw that you were liking his pics mm-hmm. and yep. hits you up yep. and the rest is, and now there's and children the on this planet. And now we have two pre-birth babies. <laughs> okay. I love that. Okay. Amazing. So, um, so yeah, so we start talking and then, you know, I can kind of fast forward. I, I moved to London, uh, the following January. So that was a few months later. And then I moved back to Florida. And once I moved back to Florida, that's what started the visa process for me. So we got married in Florida and then we didn't see each other for six months. So at the time when you're getting a visa, you, they take your passport from you. You can't travel and stuff. So we hadn't seen each other for six months, but we really wanted to go on a holiday on a vacation. So we went to Hawaii and Hawaii was beautiful. I spent my 30th birthday there. It was just majestic and magical and green and lush. And it was just amazing to spend also with my new husband who I hadn't seen in six months. And so that's where we conceived my first daughter. And so once we came back from Hawaii, um, I moved to London probably like within the next two weeks because I had gotten my visa approval. And so I land in London on a Friday. I found out I'm pregnant on Monday. And it wasn't something we were like trying for or not trying for. It's just, you know, it happens. And we were excited. We were like, cool, we're going to be parents. And funny enough, if you ask anybody who knows me from before I had kids, I never wanted kids. I'm not like this person who's like, oh, baby, you're so cute. Can I hold you? Can I take care of you? That's not me. (laughs) Not at all. So when, you know, but when I got pregnant, I was like, cool, we're going to have kids. This is exciting. But not something I really fantasized about either, but not something I was rejecting at all. Just not something I thought about. Um, and so I find out I'm pregnant on Monday and everything's fine. You know, I tell my, my parents and, and stuff and we're all excited. We tell our friends. Um, and I must've been like about five weeks pregnant. I mean, like I found out right away and that was Monday by that Thursday, Friday, I get really sick, really, really sick. I mean, I was fine. And then I wasn't. And I'm, you know, I can't walk. I'm, I'm throwing up. I'm nauseous. I'm really sick. So, you know, this Wait, being from my the pregnancy or from, from like the food from the pregnancy. So walk. this being my first pregnancy and I don't have any friends who have had kids yet. 
I'm thinking, you know, this must be morning sickness. This is what it is. So just like, you know, deal with it. Come to find out it's HG, it's hypermesis gravidarum, right? And so nobody ever told me that. I'm just deep in my research, but I am sick. I'm finding out that with HG, you can like, you lose a lot of weight. You're throwing up blood, you're throwing up bile. You can't stand, you can't eat, you can't drink. And so as I'm reading these symptoms, I'm like, that's me. That's what I have because it was bad. I remember there was a time my husband used to work all day. I'm sick in bed. I mean, what can I do? So I'm laying in bed and he comes home and he used to sit away from me because I couldn't stand the smell of anything. So if I smelled him, it would make me sick. And so he sits down and he drinks a glass of water. That set me off for like two hours, just throwing up just with sickness. I was sick when I say sick. And so I'm, like I said, five, six weeks. I think it was around 11 weeks. I had my first appointment with the midwife in London. And I was looking forward to it because I was like, this person's going to help me. I'm so sick. I can't walk. I can't eat. I can't drink. I can hardly breathe. I couldn't turn over. Every day was a choice. Should I use the toilet or should I brush my teeth? I can't do both because I'm sick. It was horrible. And with nothing else to compare it to, I thought it was normal. So I go to the midwife and I'm, I'm eager to go to the midwife. And she goes, you know, how are you feeling? It took all of my energy to even get there. I remember walking in just so slowly because I couldn't walk. And I walk in and I'm excited. And she's like, how are you feeling? And I was like, terrible. Oh my gosh, it's so bad. Like, this is what's going on with me. And she just shrugs it off. She just goes, oh, well, you know, that's normal. It'll pass. And that was it for me. That was it. That's when I was like, I'm having a free birth because some explicitives probably. <laughs> but I was like, you know, the one person who I had faith in, I don't know you, but this is sort of your field. Um, you know, this is where you work. And I, I trusted you to do something. Tell me something else. Show that you cared. And right. all you did say was, that's normal. It'll pass. And I was like, but it's not normal. So right away, I walked out of there just really heated. And I was like, I'm, I'm doing this by myself because I'm not the kind of person who typically does seek outside help. But the one time I was going to, you let me down. And it's fine. You know, it's not something I was angry about in a personal way. I was never angry with her. It was just so, like, cool, I'll do it myself. So did you have any reference point? Like, had did you know the word free birth? Had you ever heard about this? Never. Or is this just completely this internal? Because that's like pretty radical to yeah. just be like, F you, <laughs> I'm just not going back at 11 yeah. weeks. Yeah, that was, that was exactly it. I had never heard of free birth. I had never heard of unassisted wow. birth. I didn't know these sort of keywords. I just sure. knew I walked out of there feeling like, if you're not going to help me, then I'll help myself. And that's the kind of person that I am. I remember when I was 17, I used to play basketball in high school and I tore a few ligaments in my knee. I tore my ACL, my MCL and my meniscus. And it was a bad tear. And I remember we're in the middle of a game and just all of these, you know, girls coming to crowd around me and it, and it made me angry. I was like, get away from me. So in, um, when I'm pushed to my extremes, I don't want help. I do better by myself. Um, and so I hobbled myself off the court and fast forward, I got surgery. And I remember there was a big stitch in my knee. It was probably like that long. 
And I go to the doctor to pull it out, but I didn't know they were going to pull it out. So she tells me to put my leg up on the counter and she starts to tug it. And I was like, stop, what are you doing? I, I can take it out myself. Don't touch me. Oh, that's um, hardcore. Because it's, you know, it's such a long stitch. You can feel it coming out. Ugh. And so I was like, I'll let, can I do it? Because I'd rather be in control of what that sure. feels like for me. And so, you know, that was, that was 17, 18. I had my first daughter at 30. Um, so, you know, that was over 15 years later. And I was just like, I'm just, I'm just going to do it by myself. Can everyone just leave me alone? I'll just do it by myself. Yeah, because I think in maybe a, a, an average, or I don't know the right word, a, a, maybe a different personality woman would just go interview with a different midwife, you yeah, know? It, you know, <laughs> I think, you know, it's funny how the world works and it's funny how the universe is because I think because I'm American and I was living in another country and I had never had a baby and my family's not there and I didn't yet have friends. It was just me and my husband. It was really easy to just say, I'll just do it by myself because totally. I don't yet have a community. And so even if in hindsight, I would have looked for another midwife, I wouldn't have even known where to begin because it's not my medical system. I don't know how to navigate a different medical system. Yeah. So it wasn't even an option in my mind to just say, I'd rather see somebody else. It never crossed my mind. What so did cross my mind was I'll do yeah. it myself. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. So you come home and you're like, babe, we're doing this on our own. Yeah, so I think we get home. I think we get home. I'm, I'm a serial researcher. And so even though I was really, really sick, I was also like, I'm pregnant. And so I need to learn about what this process is and what's happening to my body and what to expect. And I think because I had HG, I was doing even more research because, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with me and can I stop this because it hurts. So I'm researching and I'm researching and researching. And so everything that I'm learning, I'm sharing with my husband, you know, this is what pregnancy is. These are trimesters and this is how the baby's growing. And this is how other people feel, but this is how I feel. And the whole time he's really trusting in me. Um, and we come across, eventually we come across the term probably unassisted birth before free birth. Don't know. But I finally come across that one key word that finally is able to lead me toward that sort of rabbit hole where I can find more information, but I needed that word. Um, and so I find it and, you know, I talked to my husband about it, but it wasn't like a, you know, what do you think? It was just a, we're going to do this by ourselves, and here's what it's called and here's mm -hmm. what we need to know. And he was like, cool, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> let's go. Um, we were both, we were never... We never had that fear, but I truly think it's because I didn't have people around me to instill that fear. It was never natural for me to be scared of it. What was natural was to learn about it so that I could know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. And that's all I did. I did research and research and research. And what was your reference point this far in growing up, just in, in your life, your own birth, your, you know, like what you'd heard about births. It doesn't sound like you really had friends yet who had gone through it. So did you feel like a fairly blank slate or did you have like trauma stories in your family or what was your reference point leading up? Yeah, I don't think, I think for me, there was nothing really concrete. I think all of us sort of get those stories about, you know, birth hurts and it can be scary. And, you know, some people die, all of these things that we hear, but because it was, there was no personal connection to those stories. They didn't impact me. You know, you yeah. see the movies, you might read a book, you might, you know, see an image, but it wasn't personal. 
um, funny enough, my birthday was about a week or so ago and my, we went out to dinner with my mom and I was like, you know, tell me about the story of, of my birth. And that was really the first time I heard about it at 36 now years old. Um, oh, yeah, I had never, I don't know, just because I think before I had my daughter, I wasn't into birth, mm-hmm. you know, and that now five, six years later, I love it. Everything I do and read and research and listen to and talk about is birth and partrition and being pregnant. But prior to that, like, yeah, I guess it makes sense to, sense to ask your mom about, you know, what your birth was like, but I had never done that before. So, um, you know, she said she had me naturally and, you know, her water broke um, at home and she kept going to the doctor and they kept sending her back home and she said it hurt, but in hindsight, um, they like were forcing me to come out and all of these different things. But that was the first time I heard about it. Um, And anybody else who, now that I've got a community in London and I've got these friends in London, we all have babies. But again, I was really the first one. I didn't have that super close community of friends here in Florida, here in the US. Um, So there was really no one to talk about it with. So there was no- Kind of plays to your favor, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And so, and all of this in hindsight that I'm able, you know, that on one hand, I'm just like, I'm pregnant now and I miss my family, particularly my mom. On the other hand, I truly am able to do things my way with no influence of anyone else. And my husband was always on board. So we just learned together. And every time I learned something new, I would tell him about it. And he was like, cool. And, you know, leading up to the birth, if there were any sort of emergency protocols that we wanted to go over, he made sure he learned certain maneuvers and certain things to do in case he would have to. But both of us were very much like, let's do this. We were excited. So you don't go back into the system. So you just cruise through the rest of your pregnancy and does your, your symptoms get better? What's the rest of your pregnancy like leading up into the birth? So I was really, really sick until, let me see, probably for March, April, May, probably for like three-ish months, really sick. I, I remember I missed spring that year. I was in bed really sick. It was really hard. I'm losing weight because I'm not eating. I'm not drinking. I'm very dehydrated, but I can't drink anything. Um, And then poor me, but being from America, I'm, you know, sometimes you have these really specific cravings. And since I couldn't eat anything, like what I wanted was what I wanted, but then like, could he find it in England? It was a mess. (laughs) It was really hard. And um, so I didn't get much of what I wanted because it wasn't there. Um, or maybe he just didn't know where to get it and stuff. Um, so probably around three months, I'm starting to feel better and it, and it completely goes away. I'm feeling good. I worked out every day in my pregnancy until I was almost nine months pregnant, um, training five, probably five days a week with my husband. He was a personal trainer at the time and I was feeling really strong and really good. Um, the baby was moving a lot. The baby's growing. I did continue seeing the midwife um, for a paper trail, let's be serious. I want to be able to prove that I've been pregnant with this baby in this country. And that's the easiest way to do it. So I didn't overdo it. I didn't, I got one ultrasound when I was to confirm the pregnancy. So what, probably like eight ish weeks. Um, and that was the only ultrasound that I had throughout my pregnancy. Um, and I would listen to the baby. Um, I didn't do the Doppler either, just a stethoscope. Um, and the baby was moving a lot and like, I felt fine and my belly was growing and I always measured on time. So I didn't feel like I had anything to worry about. Um, I saw the midwife 
I wouldn't say excessively, but a few times, I mean, probably five, six times throughout the pregnancy. And you know how it goes. It's just like, how are you feeling? I'm feeling fine. Okay. Let me know if you're not okay. Bye. Like it's nothing, mm-hmm. but it was in the back of your head. You knew that you were just gonna, that you were just like phoning this in to get the paperwork so that it made the birth certificate and registration stuff easy, but you knew you weren't going to be calling them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it, you know, it's a lot of times you see people now who have free births and when they're trying to get those birth certificates and stuff, it can be difficult because they didn't see anybody Um, and to each their own. But for me, especially as we're from different countries, I just wanted that part to be smooth. So I'd let them, um, when they ask about, you know, what kind of birth they're going to have, I told them it was going to be a home birth, just left it at that. Um, And so they always sort of expected a call from me. I just didn't call. (laughs) Um, And so actually, so now I'm full term. The rest of my pregnancy was really good. It was really magical. It was like really, really great. Felt really strong, um, felt really good. And I remember, I think I gave birth to her at 39 weeks and my mom came from Florida. She had never been um, on an international flight. So that was really exciting. And she landed on Friday and I went into labor Sunday. So she just made it. (laughs) And so she knew that you were going to free birth. Yeah. So there is the book. What's it called? Um, Childbirth Without Fear. Have you heard of that book? Um, And that book was really, really great for me. So as I'm going through my pregnancy, I'm going down this loophole. I really actually used Instagram as a tool. I was searching hashtags. Once I I discovered those terms of free birth and unassisted birth, I'm like hashtag searching for any person who can give me advice, help me, you know, help lead the way, tell me about their experience. Um, And I feel like it was a lot more difficult to come by six years ago. Now, I feel like a lot more women are doing it or maybe a lot more women are sharing it, but it wasn't something so easy to find in 2017. Um, So I'm doing a bunch of research. I'm reading a bunch of books. I'm taking a bunch of notes. And so when I came across Childbirth Without Fear, I really liked how he wrote the book. I really liked what he was saying. And I remember ordering that book for my mom and sending it to her because she had been talking about coming to London for the birth. And I said, you know, of course I got those phone calls or text messages from my dad, my brother, my mom, people in the family who were finding out that I was going to do this by myself, but I shut it down, which was easy for me to do because they weren't there. So I understand the struggle that other women may have when their family and friends are close. Mine weren't. And it did work to my advantage because I just either didn't answer them, I didn't reply, or, you know, I was able to be direct with them without having to face them. You know, I was able to say, leave it alone because this is what I'm doing. And if you don't support it, you know, I'll talk to you afterwards. This is what's going to happen. But I, I didn't even tell a lot of people because I know how people are. I told my immediate family, my brothers, my mom, my dad, and I think that was it. And I instructed them not to tell anybody else because it's nobody's business because people talk. <laughs> Um, And that talking is what instills that fear that I didn't need because it wasn't part of what was going on in my house. So Mm -hmm. mom's getting ready to come. I sent her that book and I said, you know, read this book. And if you're not um, in support of how I'm going to do this, I love you. And I would love for you to be here, but, but then you're not going to be welcome here because I don't need that fear in my space. I feel strong and confident and it's going to be fine. And that's what I'm manifesting. Um, so she was like, fine, I'll read the book and everything's fine. And my mom's actually really good with like, I don't know, blood and emergency situations. Um, she just needed to accept that. I think she probably needed to feel that I knew what I was doing 
And once she saw that, then it was fine. Um, the birth part didn't bother her. So she flies over on Friday. I go into labor Sunday. And I remember um, Sundays we go farmer's market shopping, we go to farmer's market, we go to Whole Foods and we have this whole day. And I woke up at four in the morning and I have back pain and I'm like, oh, my back hurts. Like mom wakes up around seven and she's like, you're in labor. But as we all know, moms don't know anything, right? I'm like, mom, come on, mom. We're Whatever, mom. <laughs> I'm not in labor. You don't, you only had three kids. You don't know anything, yeah, mom. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's just back pain. So I'm rubbing my back. So we go about our business. And I remember That's we funny. had met a friend at the farmer's market and we're walking and talking. And every now and again, I'm like, just hold on a second. And um, so that's when it hit me that like, oh, okay, I am in labor. Oops. <laughs> um, but we shop at the farmer's market because I had learned, you know, I could be in labor for days. It doesn't mean I'm having the baby right now. So we go about our business. We just take it slow. And we go to the farmer's market and we do our shopping. And probably around six or eight, we went out to eat because I was like, this could be my last meal for a few days. I don't know when I'm going to go into labor. So we went and we had this really nice Moroccan spread. We had hummus and falafel and um, I don't even know what else, whatever else they had, like uh, beans, I forget what it's called, but we had this whole big spread, which was delicious. In hindsight, terrible choice because I ended up having the baby and I threw it all up. <laughs> so I don't recommend eating so heavy. Yeah. Um, but so we get home and it's like, maybe it's like 9 p.m. And that's when like active labor finally starts. So I'm walking around the house. We're like, okay, this baby's actually going to come. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, you know, I'm just sort of breathing through it. And then I get back labor. I wasn't prepared for that. Nobody mentioned back labor to me. Oh my goodness, that hurt. I wasn't expecting it. So because I didn't come across it and I didn't know how to counteract it, I was trying to find positions while I was having contractions, which made it worse. So I'm leaning on the wall. At one point I try and lay on my back. Oh, that was horrible. That was a bad decision. <laughs> that really hurt, um, but I'm going through it. You know, we're just dealing with it. And where my mom's telling me, you know, just walk around, just breathe. And it's overnight. I always felt like it was more difficult because it was 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. And I'm tired. I had been up since 4 a.m. So, you know, people tell you when you're in labor to rest, but like I couldn't rest. Um, it's the middle of the night. I'm having contractions. I've been up since four. Um, and so I'm going through it. And eventually, you know, you can create your birth space and then like where you have the baby is where you have the baby. So we, my idea was to have the baby in my bedroom. I had like my Himalayan salt lamps and my user and it was just like my plants it was all cozy in there and I ended up having her in the living room because I wanted nothing to do with that room I wanted the couch which was in the living room and we had like dining tables in there uh, dining chairs in there and um those I remember in and when I was transitioning I remember like those contractions were so hard and I remember just like trying to breathe but so much easier said than done so easy to tell a birthing woman breathe breathe like not not uh it's not how it goes sometimes especially being my first birth so I'm trying to breathe and I just remember in childbirth without fear whether it's true or not he said that in his experience uh laboring women typically have eight to ten of those really difficult contractions before the baby comes so whether I had 40 or whether I had five, 
it helped me to get through just being able to say, there's only so many of these that will happen and then it's going to be over. And I always liken that. I use the analogy of like, if you're working out, because again, my husband works out a lot and we used to train together. And, you know, if he tells me to do push-ups, just do them. I'm going to give up sooner because when it hurts, it hurts. But if he tells me do 20, now I'm working towards something. Even if my arms feel like they're on fire, I can get it done because I'm like, I'm just doing 20. It's not going to happen forever. And so same thing with birth, because I knew that it would eventually stop. You just push through. Um, And so she, my water didn't break until probably about half an hour until she was born, which I had read. So I was prepared for that. My water didn't break. So I was never worried about like infection or anything like that. Those were not thoughts that I had. Um, and then I could feel her coming. I remember sort of touching down there and I was like, the baby's coming. And my, so it was my mom and my husband present at the birth and then myself. And they were like, nothing's there, like nothing's coming. And I was like, you guys don't know what I feel. The baby is coming. And so I get into like the squat position. I'm like sort of on all fours on the chair and she's coming. And I'm like, this is crazy, you know? And they're watching. My mom has the most awesome pictures. She was so close to the action. <laughs> she's like <laughs> laying down, taking pictures. Oh my God. And yeah, she was she was there. Um, and I so I think they call it turtling, right? When like the baby's coming out, but sort of goes up with every contraction, comes back down, goes up. And that was hard. Yeah. I had been, you know, in labor all night. I'm so tired. Um, And I just want her to come out. So rather than waiting for her to, for those contractions to push her out, I start pushing. And I knew I wasn't supposed to do that, but I was so over it. I start pushing and she eventually comes out. And I just remember crying because I swore up and down she was a boy. I was like, this baby is a boy. I'm having a boy. It's a boy. So much so that I, so at some point, I still remember at some point in my pregnancy, I had a dream and in the dream, I'm laying in a bed and there's a baby laying right here. And I say, Mosiah, and the baby rolls over and smiles, the biggest smile. And I say, Mosiah, and again, he smiles at me. So I woke up in the morning, we are definitely having a boy because in Swahili, Mosiah means firstborn son. So I was like, obviously we're having a boy. It's obvious. So she comes out and girl, I start crying. I was like, I don't have a name for you. You were supposed to be a boy. What am I supposed to name you? You're a girl. (laughs) Um, And I just remember like, I'm crying because I felt bad. I was like, I called you a boy the whole pregnancy. I'm so sorry. And I'm just scared. (laughs) Yeah, so funny. I'm counting her fingers and her toes. You know, I'm just sort of making sure she's good. Um, And she was and um my, I call my brother and my dad, you know, I called everybody back home in Florida because she was born around 10 in the morning. So it was like five in the morning, our time here. And, you know, I'm just letting people know she's been born and everything was fine. The placenta um, got stuck a little bit because um, it didn't, it just was like lodged. I ended up having to like squat and cough and a little bit of a pull to kind of get it out. Um, but so I'm, after I had the baby, I go to the tub to, I had read, I guess at the time that the water could maybe help things speed along with the placenta. Um, so I went and I sat the tub, but the tub's getting really bloody and it's because of the placenta. I know. So my mom's saying, this is really bloody. Like this isn't normal. And I'm saying, calm down. Everything's fine. Again, you know, nothing. (laughs) And she's like, this is, this is really bloody. And so, um, I get up and 
we had always planned to call the midwives afterwards so that they could see the baby. The baby has been born. The baby is fine. You can leave now. And so we called the midwives after we had the baby. Um, and they, I mean, I don't know how it works. You know, it was just my experience that they were kind of wanting to stay there and, you know, just kind of be in my birth space. But I, I didn't want them. We didn't call them until a few hours later. Um, the placenta was still there. Um, so they were the ones who helped me get it out. They said, you know, squat, cough, got it out. And then um, it, once that came out, we could see that I was bleeding because I actually had a labial tear. So that, that was hard, but that was my fault. I take full responsibility. Like I said, I was pushing when I shouldn't have, um, but I wanted her out. And I can't even say that I would do it differently today just because of what my mindset was then. It's my first baby. I still rocked it. I still did this by myself. But there um, is no, there is no should. There is no, you shouldn't have pushed. Like there's just what is, and you were mm -hmm. instinctual and you were, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's not your fault that mm -hmm. you had some tearing in your first birth. That just is a very normal occurrence. And it's still a physiological birth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I correct yeah. my um, there's vocabulary. No, like, well, there's, there's no like, um, shoulds. Yeah. Yeah. In any of this, you know, you gave yeah. birth and a result of giving birth is often physiological tearing and then it heals yeah yeah so <laughs> so I I tore I um I let them stitch me up but me being me I didn't get any like sort of medication or numbing anything so that was just that was horrible that hurt so bad um but I I just I don't like medication and I don't I, I would much rather just deal with things as you can I think tell by my choice to free birth I just I sort of accept things as they are and I get it done. So I had sort of pushed through this HG and just dealt with it. I never, a lot of women with HG get like IV drips and they go to the doctor a lot, which is fine. That's just not me. Um, I just deal with it and I trust my body and I trust what I know and I trust my lifestyle and I trust my support system and I just deal with things. And so I just dealt with um, getting stitched up. Um, and then I sort of, you know, nicely, but then I kicked him out. I was like, okay, you've done your job. You can leave my birth space now. And, um, it was all really great. I was really proud of myself. We were on a high, we were looking forward to that birth because I think there was so much buildup towards it, like doing all of the research and reading all of the stories and talking to different people because also throughout my pregnancy, uh, whether it was Facebook or Instagram, if I did find women who, had natural, even if it was a home birth experience, I made sure to listen to their stories, to reach out and to say, you know, would you mind sharing for me what this was like for you? Um, and anytime somebody, if somebody tried to come with any sort of negativity sort of within my bubble and say, you know, it hurts, or for me, this is what happened, I shut it down immediately. So I didn't have access to any of those stories because if they were coming my way, I said, no. I don't want it. I, I only want to know what I know. I only want to know what I'm learning. And I, I only want things to go the way that I want them to go. So I don't want to listen to that story. Um, and it worked for me because anything that I could access in my brain was only goodness. And nursing was easy peasy? No. No? <laughs> nursing oh, was bad. It, uh, again, I think I had, focus so much of my energy and my time and my learning towards 
knowing how to give birth, like how do, how do you give birth? What are the emergencies that could happen? Because a lot of times when you tell somebody you're going to have a baby by yourself, they say, well, what if something happens? And so for me, I started turning it around on them. And I said, well, what could happen? First of all, most of the people who say, what if something happens, don't even know what could happen. But if you push them, they might say, well, you know, my baby was born with a cord around the neck. And so that gave me something to research. Okay, well, you know, what if the baby's born with a cord around the neck? And that allowed me to learn, you know, about Wharton's jelly and how umbilical cords are stretchy and how most babies do have their cords tied around their neck and how all you do is you unwrap it. It's not an emergency. And so I'm slowly able to uncover all of these um, inhibitions that other people have that, you know, they're calling emergencies that I'm, I'm like, you know, they're not shoulder dystocia, you know, well, what if the baby gets stuck? My baby got stuck. Well, I mean, first of all, maybe change positions, you know, like let's not give birth on our back because that's what making, that's what's uh, getting the baby stuck, right? So um, I had uh, focused all of my energy on all of that, that I didn't even focus on breastfeeding. I was just like, oh, that, that part's natural. And boy, was it not, it was hard. And now that I have my second daughter, I can compare what it should have been like because this journey has been so easy and smooth. But with my first daughter, um, the latch was just bad. And probably maybe three, five days later, um, I don't know how it works over here because I've not given birth like within the system in America, but over there, the midwives will come to your house for a certain amount of time after you have the baby to make sure everything's okay. And probably, like I said, three or five days later, they came over and they said, how's nursing going? And it was like the same experience all over again with the first midwife I saw when I had HG. They said, how's nursing going? I said, oh my gosh, it's not good. It's really hard. I, it hurts. I'm bleeding. Um, and she was, there was a few times that I think my letdown now that I know, but my letdown was so fast that it would come like flying out of her nose. So again, now I know how to combat those things, but then I didn't know anything about breastfeeding. It was my first baby. And so when the midwives came and they said, how's everything going? And I said, it's not going well. They said, oh, well, you know, that should balance itself out. Like your milk will sort of balance and the baby will learn and it'll be fine. But to me, it felt like they were pushing me off. Um, and again, to me, I'm not the kind of person to sort of convince them that I need help. I'll just figure it out myself. And so that's what I did. I said, fine, you're not going to help me. I'll figure it out myself. But their recommendation was that I get a nipple shield. And I got the nipple shield and it just always felt so unnatural. I probably used it for like a week or two, but I didn't like it because I felt like it was breaking the bond. I felt like it was making things more difficult. And I felt like it was a crutch. Like, how is this going to help her learn how to nurse if it's not my nipple? So, but you know, she needs to eat. So I'm, I'm balancing this. And so on my own, I start doing research about different positions and what else I can try. And, you know, so I try laying her down. I try sidelining. I try the football hold. I try, you know, all of these different positions until finally um, I try holding her just up and down so that when she latches, she can pull the nipple out to elongate it because the midwife tried to tell me that my nipples were flat. Um, again, all of this in hindsight is funny because I feel like within the system, they try their, their words, maybe feel, make moms feel like they're at fault, 
And if a baby is born to you, then your nipples are perfect. That's that. You know, maybe we have to try different positions and different techniques, but there's nothing wrong with your nipple. Um, so I didn't like the nipple shield. And so when I found that position, she latched and it worked and it was good. But I remember it wasn't until around the time, she must've been about three months where I was like, I get it. Mm. I get it. I can breastfeed. But for those three months, it was Riddle. bleeding and cracking. And I remember like trying so hard to remain stress-free and you know, taking every time I had to nurse her, I would take a breath because I would be on the verge of tears because it hurts, but also she needs to eat. What are you going to do? And so I would have to take a deep breath and mm. try to get out of my own head because, you know, I also don't want to mess with my milk flow by being anxious, by being nervous. You know, you don't want those feelings sort of transferring to the baby. That's a lot of hard work for a mom, for a new mom, for somebody just figuring this out. Now I advise women, you know, if you're having trouble, seek a lactation consultant, but nobody was there to tell me that. I didn't know those key words. Nobody was pointing me in the right direction. I really did feel like I had to figure it out myself. And my mom ended up staying for a month, which was amazing because she was there to help me, you know, navigate that first month. But when she left back for Florida, I was crying. I was like, you are leaving me with a whole baby. What am I supposed to do with her? Um, but, you know, you figure it out. And my husband's always been really supportive. So that was nice. And once we got the breastfeeding down, you know, everything was beautiful and magical. I ended up um, on my blog. I have a post about like what that breastfeeding journey was like, because it was really hard. Um, but like I said, now that I have my second daughter who I can compare to, I see why all of the breastfeeding advice says that it shouldn't hurt and that you shouldn't bleed and that you shouldn't be cracked. But when I had my first daughter, I didn't know that. You can say that as much as you want, but unless you fix how you're doing it and feel the way it should feel, then you've got nothing to compare to. So breastfeeding was very, very hard, but I persist. So you persisted and you guys just figured it out. Yep. For and me, then, there's no other after option. Three months, after three months, it no longer hurt? No, after three months, it's like, there was like a oh. shift where, and I think, again, Comparing it to my daughter now, my my current daughter is seven months and she probably for the first two months, like just wanted to be home. She, you know, was, you know, they're, they're sleepy. And if I was missing her window, like when she was ready for a nap, she'd be very angry at me um, for a long time. And for the, probably the first two-ish months, she really liked to nurse in a sideline position. My uh, letdown was really fast. Um, and so when I think about the experience with my first daughter, I think probably, um, you know, if, had I taken things a bit more slowly, it mm -hmm. probably would have been a bit easier. But again, like I didn't know what these things were. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know to slow down. I didn't know to take it easy. I didn't know that my definition of being slow might not be my daughter's definition of being slow. Um, and so, yeah, you persist. I'm very just like holistic minded. I'm very, um, I trust nature a lot. I have faith in the way that things are supposed to be. Um, and I lean into that. And so when faced with adverse, adversary, 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 adversary. <laughs> um, adversity. Yeah. When, when faced with these situations, for me, there's no other response than to just get on with it. It's not going to be easy. It may very well be painful. Um, it's hard. It's very hard. 
But for me, there was never going to be an option of formula feeding. It just, it just wasn't going to be an option. So for me, I had to figure it out. There was no other choice. And I did. And it hurt. And, you know, so did the HG though. And so did having a labial tear. Like I just get through with it. I really feel like I'm able to come within myself and, and do that. And, you know, but I do have a very supportive partner who's like, cool, you know, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're saying you're going to do. Let's do it then. You know? Yeah. I wonder what changed for her mouth at the three month mark where it literally no longer was like it became functional. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow. I Thank God. have <laughs> no, yeah, I have no, and she went on to nurse for three and a half years. So she had mm-hmm. no more problems. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was just persistence for me. It was just mm-hmm. being persistent and taking that time and being patient and, and like, I can't even say exhausting all options because even when you've exhausted all, all options, I feel like there's more but I tried everything. Yeah. I did as yeah. much as I could, um, you know, until I found what worked and, mm-hmm. you know, lucky it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So then at some point you guys moved back to Florida. Yeah. So COVID happens and we had, so I think after we had my first daughter, um, you know, we're just, we, we never, the, the big plan was never to stay in London that we were never going to live there forever, but we had our daughter and we're like, okay, now we have a family. Where do we kind of want to live? But also we're not in a rush. It's just like in the future, where do we see ourselves? But COVID happens. And what, so I used to come home during the winters because I'm a Florida girl and London gets cold. (laughs) Um, And it was, (laughs) and it was really nice because it gave my daughter the opportunity to like be with her family. So we used to spend probably two, three months here um, between like, January and March when it's really cold in London and so one year I guess it must have been I think it was 2019 2020 I don't remember um but we're in Florida and we're here for a little bit and my husband um we had planned a vacation to Brazil my husband had been to Brazil we had never been to Brazil before um me and my daughter so he flies to Brazil from London and me and my daughter fly to Brazil from here and we meet up there. We're going to have a vacation. And it was a really, really nice holiday. And on our flight back home, it's just me and my daughter. My husband flies back to London. I think he may have flown back with us here and then flown back to London. I can't remember. But that's when we start hearing COVID, COVID, COVID. And we're not registering. We don't know what's going on. Um, So he goes back to London and we're in Florida for a little bit longer. And he was in London for a few days and he's training a client at the time. And the client tells him they're shutting the US border down. And he's like, what? You know, my family's there. And he's like, yeah, they're shutting the border down. And, you know, they're talking a bit of this COVID stuff. And so my husband fly, like books at home, packs barely anything in a bag, is uh, booking a flight on the way and he flies to Florida. He lands at 7 or 8 p.m. and the border shuts at midnight. Like he oh just made God. it. We Thank been God. Yeah. Oh, so that That's was so crazy. intense. Yeah, so intense. And I remember he called me from the flight saying, because we again live in Tampa, he was in, um, he was going to be landing in Miami. So he called me to say, like, um, that he would be landing in Miami soon. But my husband is very, 
he doesn't give a lot of backstory. So he's just like, oh, hey, I'm like landing in Miami soon, just so you know. And I'm like, what? You're in London. What are you talking about? So I'm thinking he's joking. He's like, no, like I'm going to be landing, but also I don't have time to like talk. I have to go. And I was like, what? Um, and I didn't believe him. But then I heard the flight attendant, you know, like now taking off. And I'm like, what is That's happening? Funny. So the flight from London to Florida is eight-ish hours, eight, nine hours. And the whole time I'm like, what is going on? Like, what are you talking about? So he finally lands and he's in Miami. From Miami, he has to drive to Tampa. So I still don't know what's going on. So he finally gets here. And then that's when he tells me like everything that had happened and why he came to Florida. Um, But that time, you know, bearing in mind that he's a British citizen. And when you come here, um, you're only allowed three months at a time. So he's here, but we're on like on a time limit. I'm American, but he's not American. So, and now COVID's happening. What are we supposed to do? So we're here for a little bit. And then we fly to Jamaica. We have some friends there. And from Jamaica, we fly back to London. We're in London. It's summer. It's July. They had just lifted some of the restrictions that they had imposed throughout those months. Um, And so we're seeing friends and stuff. And um we're probably there for a month or two and everything's open. Everything's fine. We're having a good time, but there was also a real eeriness in the air. It was just very weird. You know, you're watching the news, you're seeing headlines. And I remember they started shutting down the kids library, the playgrounds, the, they, there was a park we used to go to and they had removed the swings for the kids, which I thought was too much. I was like, this is like, for me, this is ridiculous. I have that's pretty dystopian yeah I was at the time my daughter was two I think and I was just like what what am I supposed to do with her like you're she can't go to the library we tried going there one day we're sitting on the floor reading books and they made us leave they told us we were only allowed to check out books and leave and again she's two but the museums closed the libraries closed the parks they've taken away the swings I'm like what am I supposed to do with her and so we're sort of watching everything that's going on. London's talking about, England's talking about, they're going to shut down. Like, you're going to need a reason to travel. You can't just go to the airport. You're going to need like a note. And we're like, we're not doing this. We're not here for it. We're not doing it. So we book a one-way flight to Brazil. We're like, you know, you can keep that mess. We're not, we're not part of it. So in our heads, we were like, even we were just in Brazil. So we know the currency exchange. We know the vibe. We know what's going on. We were just there a few months ago. Um, and we really like it. And it's summer there. Like, why not be in Brazil? Um, so we book a one-way flight to Brazil and it was hot and it was amazing. Um, and we just figured even if Brazil has restrictions, at least we can find a, a beach somewhere and fresh fruit and coconut water and Kajikana. We can find sugarcane juice and we can just, you know, be in our own little bubble if that's what we have to do. But in London, it would have been cold. It would have been dark. It would have been lonely. We would have been cramped into a smaller space. We just didn't want that. So we go to Brazil. In Brazil, you're allowed to stay six months without a visa. So we stay there six months. Then we fly back to Florida. Um, While we're in Florida, that's when we have that discussion. And we're like, I don't think we live in London anymore. I don't know where we live, but I don't think we're going to go back to London. Um, And so that's when we were like, well, since the world is like shut down and borders are shut down and stuff like let's let's try this out for a bit you know like let's stay in Florida for a bit we did London let's try Florida and so that's how we ended up here it was like we were always going to leave London but it was kind of like 
put on the fast track because of COVID happening. Yeah. And so, so we. Is it, I'm thinking about how the three month thing, like how, how does that, you guys are married, but he only has, is he now allowed to stay? So while, so when we decided to stay here, we also decided to use that opportunity to get his green card. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he has that now. So now he can stay, but it was just like, you know, you have to take your cards as they're dealt to you. And as we love to travel, but as we were sort of being forced to ground because, yeah. you know, so many things were shut down, we were like, well, let's get your green card since, because when you're applying for it, you can't travel, you can't leave the country. So we may as well do that now. Like, let's just start that process. Yeah. It's a better time than ever. During that process is when I got pregnant with my second daughter. Um, and it's so crazy. I can get into it if you want me to. Sure. Um, so we're here. Everything's great. I feel good. My daughter has stopped nursing now for almost a year, you know, so I'm like my own person again. Um, and we're in Florida. And it was my daughter's uh, fourth birthday. And we had taken a trip up to Tennessee. We rented a cabin with some friends. And um, it was amazing. And I had specifically booked a cabin with a jacuzzi because I was like, when all the kids go to sleep, we can go in the jacuzzi. I don't like really drink, but I was like, I'll have a glass of wine. Like, this is going to be fun. And my period was late. And I was like, let me like take a test uh, just to see because I want wine and jacuzzi, you know, and I take this test and it says I'm pregnant, which was such a blessing, really, because it took a long time to get there. I had a miscarriage in between. And I also had a really, really big, I don't even know that there's a name for it. I had a health thing happen where when we were still in London, I was bleeding heavily, heavily bleeding for July, August, September, October, November, December, six, seven months. I mean, bleeding through clothes, clots the size of my hand. Oh, I was sick. Wait, I, consistently or just with your cycle? No, it was like, it would be two weeks and then it would stop for a week and then it'd be four weeks and then stop for two days. Whoa. And then it'd be, it was, so I'm like, my skin is yellow. I'm breaking out. My hair is falling off the whole time I'm nursing. It was, that was a whole other thing. Um, and so to, so like to put it in the chronological timeline that was going on just before our first trip to Brazil. So we had made the decision for me and my daughter to come home earlier that year. We came home in January because I was bleeding and we had decided that the sun would do me good. So we flew home early. Um, and then after that is when we flew to Brazil and from Brazil, we flew back here and then my husband met us and that's sort of how that all fits. But um, so, yeah, so um, it was sort of the same thing, right? Because when I found out I was pregnant with my first daughter, I got to London on Friday. I found out I'm pregnant Monday. And with Tennessee, um, it was, yeah, it was like the day before, maybe two days before. And I took this test and, you know, we were really excited because we, we had been wanting another child um, and everything was fine. The trip was really fun. My daughter had a great birthday and we get home on, I think we got home on Tuesday and by Saturday I was sick again. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no like, please, Lord, no. And I, uh, the whole time though, I'm trying to be in good spirits. I'm like, it's fine. With my first daughter, it was what? Like, it was only a few months. I can get through a few months. Everything's fine. 
you know, I'm telling myself this, I'm trying to manifest this. And every, as the days go on, I'm, I'm sick again, the same thing's happening. I couldn't roll over in bed without going into a spell for two hours. I remember just like, I would be sitting in front of my fan because you get really hot, but you also get chilled and you're gagging, but nothing's coming out and your whole body is tight and I'm sweating and you're crying, but you can't control it. It's just coming out. Like it hurts. It's painful. The whole time I'm like also conscious that I'm trying to not have such a negative impact on my daughter's idea of what pregnancy is, you know, as we <laughs> learn these things. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, she's That's like terrible. She's meeting people and she's like, yeah, mommy like throws up all the time. She's really sick. I'm like, oh dear, you don't have to tell people. But so same thing happens. I don't leave the house for months. I don't see the light of day. Um, and the whole time I thought it would subside, but like it didn't. This one lasted longer. I had it for probably around seven months. And towards the end of those seven months, it did ease up a bit where I could leave the house as long as I ate every hour, very specific things and moved slowly. But then uh, again, I live in a very hot state. And I don't know if this is true. My aunt told me this. I don't know. I haven't done the research, but she said it was the hottest summer in Florida in a hundred years. So it's the hottest summer in Florida and I'm heavily pregnant. So I finally get over the HG sometime around April and then May comes along. And I mean, it's already like 90 degrees here. We It's very humid. So now I'm starting to get swollen, really, really swollen from the sun. And I'm like, how can I be like allergic to the sun right now? It's Florida. I can't avoid it. You know, I just start getting really bad edema because my daughter got invited to like a end of school party and we went there. And when I came home, my ankle was like the size yeah. of a softball. It was huge. And, you know, they tell you to like press your thumb in it. And if there's an indentation, it's edema. And I did that. That was crazy. So my daughter, her like guest date was the end of June. She didn't come till July. So I'm just hiding from the sun for two months, which was like impossible. <laughs> and are you are you engaging in the medical system this time with this pregnancy? So because I had the miscarriage between and because I dealt with that bleeding, I always felt an air of like anxiousness and anxiety this time around. Um, I had an anterior placenta, which didn't help with my headspace and like being stress-free because I could never feel the baby. With my first daughter, I started feeling her move around 15 or 16 weeks. And I didn't feel my second daughter start moving until 30, 32 weeks. I couldn't feel her. So that was making me sweat. You know, I was really nervous because I'd had that miscarriage. So when I, I was pregnant, um, I found out I was pregnant in October. I booked my first appointment for February. Um, and that was because I wasn't feeling the baby move. Like I was fine not going to the doctor but I was starting to get anxious that I'm now like 19 weeks and I haven't felt anything um, because of the miscarriage. So I actually booked um, um, a scan and ultrasound um, just to like check in on the baby in Florida. You can book them like, like as a separate service. So it was like 50 or $70. And they tell you if it's a boy or a girl, I told her not to tell me. My mom did not like that because I told her she could write it in an envelope, but don't show it to me. So I had this envelope in the room of what the gender of the baby was, but I wouldn't let anybody open it. So none of us knew. Um, but so I, that made me feel comfortable. I went to the like scan and I saw the baby and the heartbeat was good and the growth was good. You know, there was nothing crazy about it, uh, weird about it um, or off about it. 
And then I think I had an appointment with a doctor two, three weeks later. And throughout my pregnancy, I think I had three or four appointments where I did this time. So with my first daughter, I didn't use the Doppler. This time I did. Again, having the miscarriage scares you, scares me. Um, so I was down with using the Doppler. Um, but that's all I did. I like I didn't do any urine samples. I didn't let them draw blood. Like it was the doctor was really cool. Um, she understood she had a midwifery background, so she sort of understood my mindset. Um but for me, it just made me feel comfortable to just hear from somebody else that everything was okay, considering what I had, I had been through between my five years of pregnancy from my first to my second. Um, so yeah, I had like four appointments. It was just mostly like measuring my belly and listening with the Doppler, which always made me feel good. And then my first daughter, like I said, she came around 39 weeks. And so when I was 35 weeks this time. I think I was 35 weeks. Um, that was my last appointment. I was meant to have an appointment at 38 weeks, but I didn't go because I was like, well, the baby's coming next week. So I don't really have to come <laughs> this um, at, at that time. Um, and so that's when I stopped going. I was just like, cool, I'll just get ready, you know, to do this. She'll be here when she's ready, the baby, who I thought was a boy again. Again. I'm two for two. I'm wrong. Listen, that's I don't funny. know if they have masculine energy or what this is, but if I have another baby, I'm not guessing the gender because I'm not good at it. Um, but so yeah, I stopped going to the doctor and I never like nested. I never this time I actually didn't even do research. I feel like with my experience with my first daughter and then throughout these last five years, I've just really jumped all into birth. And so I feel like I'm constantly learning. I follow pages like yours and listen to a lot of other voices who are very like-minded. I, I learn about birth daily. That's what I read. It's what I watch. It's what I like. Um, so I never, this time I was like, well, I've done it once. Like, you know, when we found out we were pregnant, we were like, obviously we're going to just have the baby the same way. We've already done this. So mm -hmm. there's, there's not even a need for that discussion of like, how should we have this baby? Like yeah, my only, the entire pregnancy, the only thing I said, like my whole birth plan was don't tear, which mm. sounds, you know, funny, maybe to people who haven't done it, you know, because they might be like, well, how do you do that? And how can you not have another plan? And I was just like, well, because it's going to be fine. Like, you know, I, again, I'm not welcoming any other energy. And because I've already done this one time, it can only get better. I, I have a basis now, so it can only be better. I know what I'm doing this time. And I'm just not going to tear because in London, I had the luxury of calling the midwife to come to me. But here, as I was free birthing, I already knew of the very real, um, I guess, like that it could if I were to tear, I would have to go to a doctor, probably the ER. There's one really close to us, but I'm not bringing my baby there. I don't trust them. Well, and, if I and the, probably like the more, a more honest way of saying that is if you tore, it's not actually about that. It's if you wanted sutures, because yeah. lots of us tear at home in our births and we don't get sutures, you know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So it's really about that. So yeah, if you desired stitches, yeah, you would have to go into a medical system. You're not yeah. most likely bringing someone to you, which is pretty hardcore. Um, so yeah, so like you said, it, you know, if I would have desired to, if something would have happened, I would have had to, I, I might have had to make the decision to go, you know, get taken care of. And I just, 
wasn't going to. So I was just like, I'm just not going to tear in. It was really funny because now I have a very like-minded community of friends in London, but now I live in Florida. So once mm -hmm. again, I don't have friends here who get it. Um, and so I, my daughter does gymnastics. And so throughout my pregnancy, we were with a group of moms from gymnastics that I'm friends with, but they're, they are not like me. We get along, we're friends, but you know, everything that I'm saying is new to them. Yeah. And so there's one mom, she's so funny. She has two kids and one of her children are, is 12, 11 or 12. And the other one's the same age as my daughter. So she's five. And we're talking about the placenta one day because we were talking about a lotus birth, which I had with my first daughter and she lost it. She started laughing out of nervousness tears coming out of her eyes laughing because she was like, I have never heard of a placenta and I have two kids. Hmm. And so it was interesting though, because she was like, you know, because I had my babies in the system. That's insane. Insane. And she's my age, <laughs> had never heard of it. And she's laughing. And, you know, we're all laughing because we're like, how have you not heard of this? Yeah, um, no. um, yeah, so I I just didn't have like a birth plan this time. I was like, it's gonna be fine. I didn't do any research. I throughout my pregnancy, I was I was questioning myself. I was like, should I be doing research because I don't feel like I have to. And so I never did. Um, I think it was the week, like a few days before like my estimated due date. I started gathering things. I got like the um, Chuck's pads, and I got you know, the um, Clary Sage and uh, the different like uh, tinctures in case I was bleeding and um, I don't know, like um, the, the herbs for the placenta in case um, I wanted to coat the, you know, because I was having a lotus birth, like all of those things. And I just put it out and that was a few days before. And my family thought I was so funny because <laughs> I was just waiting till the last minute, but I was in my mind, I was like, everything's fine. Everybody relax. You know, if anything, there's a Walmart down the road. Like if I go into labor, you can go get it. It's fine. Everything's fine. Um, and so, yeah, I was expecting her June 20, June 21st was her guest date and she didn't come and she didn't come until I was a day shy of 42 weeks, heavily pregnant, heavily uncomfortable, heavily swollen, heavily hot. The baby's so low. I can't sit. I can't talk. I still can't eat. I still can't drink. It was so uncomfortable. And so I'm, um, I felt like I woke up one morning and I felt kind of wet and I was like, all right, that's weird. And so I get up to go to the bathroom and my water breaks. I start Ooh. laughing. I start laughing so hard because with my first daughter, my water didn't break. So when it happened this time, I'm laughing because I'm like, oh, it does happen like in the movies. <laughs> and I'm laughing and it breaks and I'm like, cool, finally, like, you know, let's get out. You've been making me so uncomfortable for all this time. Um, so I go to the bathroom and I clean up and in my head, I'm like, I know that I should rest, but like, I can't rest. I'm about to have a baby. So I'm like chilling. And I'm messaging my friends in London because it's two, three o'clock here. So it's like 8 a.m. over there. So people were awake and I'm talk, um, I get up to go to the bathroom again and my water breaks again. So this time I clean up and I lay a pad down and I get on the floor. I was like, let me get out of the bed. This is messy. Um, and I'm talking to one of my girlfriends and she's like, are you sure you're like not in labor? Are you sure you're not having contractions? And I was like, no, like I just feel really crampy um, because with my first daughter, it started in my back because I was having cramps that felt like period pain, I didn't associate it with having contractions. And so when she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, they are contractions. You're right. 
Um, and so I get up and I take a shower around six in the morning. I'm like, cool, you know, this is going to happen. Let me take a good shower and be ready. Um, I call my mom so she can come over. And um, I stay in my room until probably 8.30 or 9. Just, you know, those early contractions are really mild. It's, it's calm. You know, I'm just getting ready to have a baby. Um, around nine o'clock, I come out to the living room and um, everyone's here. You know, my, it's the same crew plus my daughter. So my mom, my husband and my daughter. And I'm laboring there. My mom braids my hair. And eventually they start to get, you know, more intense. And I'm just like, <laughs> this is woo, out, you know. And um, this was faster. My first daughter, the labor, the whole thing was probably about 14 or so hours. This time, um, my water broke around 2 a.m. Around, and then I had the baby around 2.30. Um, but I didn't go into like active labor until 12. I remember seeing the clock and I was on the couch. And another thing that I remember reading is that women sometimes feel like they're at their breaking point when they reach that active labor. So I'm on the couch and I'm on my hands and knees and I'm like, what was I thinking? Oh my gosh, like, what was I thinking? How can I do this? Like, I'm thinking that I have so much longer to go because yeah. it progressed so much faster. And I'm comparing it to my first daughter. I was like, how can I continue this? But immediately I was like, that needs to get out of my head. That is not what belongs. And my favorite affirmation was, you can do anything for a few minutes at a time. And I kept telling myself that. And it was so strong for me because I was like, you can, you can do anything for a few minutes at a time. And so I'm feeling these contractions and I'm just like, you can do anything for a few minutes at a time. Like you got this, it's fine. And um, this time I tried using a comb. I had saw that, you know, you can redirect what you're feeling if you squeeze a comb, but that didn't work for me. Um, at some point I bit my arm. I was just like <laughs> trying to like relax and, you know, be calm. And I was like, this hurts, you know, and I bit my arm and I had a really nice bruise there, which made me laugh. When my husband saw that, he ran and he got me a washcloth and rolled it yeah. up so I could bite that neck. I had a, I had a mom once at a birth bite my neck. Oh. Like she was holding on to me during her contractions and she just was like, ah. oh my she gosh. Bit me. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And I was like, okay, that's new. I've had a lot of women like bite my hands and stuff like, ah, but the neck whole different level. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> So yeah, I bit myself and I was, my, my mom and my husband are looking at me like, what are you doing? And I was like, listen, it's better than pushing. Cause I'm not tearing. I am not tearing this time. I will bite myself all day though. And I bit myself. And at some point, um, I think it was my mom. She was just like, I'm starting to see something. There's like more blood and stuff. So I get off the couch and we had set up my daughter's gymnastic mat and put Chuck's pads on it. So it was soft on my knees. And, um, the whole time I didn't believe she was coming because it seemed so much yeah. faster than with my first daughter. And, you know, I get into position this time I was on all fours and I'm leaning on these like chairs and it's so I'm having back labor again. And my husband really needs to learn how to do the hip close thing because he doesn't have it and it hurts. And I'm just like, I remember sort of leaning this way because I'm trying to lean into that back labor because it doesn't feel good. Um, and he's pushing and and the baby starts coming and my mom's like, I see the head and I'm in disbelief. I was like, there's no way it's this fast, but cool. I'm down with it. And the baby starts coming and I'm just, this time I'm very like, we got this. I, I'm not tearing. Everything's fine. This baby, you know, and um, 
the baby's head comes out and I feel the head and, but I'm, I'm not tearing. So I'm taking things slow. I'm breathing. My mom's like, okay, you're doing a little too much breathing. Let's get the baby out, you know? And, um, so I, I sort of summoned the energy and I'm just like, okay, like I could feel that I needed to lift one leg up to get her out. You know, you can just feel that, but I didn't have the energy. I couldn't do it. So, because I, this time, the first time my husband caught our daughter, this time I wanted to catch the baby, but I just couldn't move my leg. So I was like, and then my daughter had said she wanted to catch the baby, but in the moment she was like stunned. <laughs> so sure. she, she didn't, she was moving too slow. So my husband moved into position and I sort of like took that one last breath and, and got her out and it was totally painless. You know, it's just this huge sense of relief. You're just like, ah, 42 weeks, all that HG, the miscarriage, the bleeding, the first birth. It's like, it's done. It's over. You're here. And she was beautiful. Like she was just, she didn't cry right away. She was just looking around from the moment she was born, just scanning the room and just a full head of hair. And we had gotten, um, you know, like a fish scale. She was nine pounds, just so big. My first daughter was six pounds. So nine pounds, especially with how sick I was feeling. I wasn't expecting big mm -hmm. baby, just so like calm and beautiful. And um, she must've been like 20 minutes old. I made a video of her saying like, you know, this is the baby she was born to send to my friends. And I'm just so calm in it. And everyone's like, you just had a baby. like you don't sound like you just had a baby. And it was really nice this time as well, because, because I had the experience of the first, I was able to take things even more slowly, more patiently, more gracefully the second time around. And, you know, I just remember I could feel that the placenta wanted to come out, but I just wasn't ready to stand up and it was fine. I just sat down. And as soon as I had her, you know, I, I let her kind of sit with dad. Cause I was just like, I was so sick, you know, finally, like this part is over. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I could feel that the placenta wanted to come out and I squatted down and it fell right out. And nice. I was just in such relief. I was like, great, I really want to shower now. And I went and I took a shower and we don't rush to like clean the baby or take off that super important vernix and whatever. So she was just wrapped up and we sat on the couch and we just chilled the rest of the night. It was beautiful. And then she was born just before three. It started raining right around three because in Florida in the summer it rains. And it was so nice because it was just like cleansing yeah. and calm and it got dark in the house and I was hungry <laughs> and thirsty and it was so nice. And the labor was just so beautiful too, because throughout it, you know, my husband had really serene music on, we had incense on and everybody was calm. And I just kept saying, you know, every now and again, water. And he would give me my water and I would take a sip and then just water, take a sip. Everything's fine. Everything's going to be fine. Everything is as it should be. I can do anything for a few minutes at a time. And she comes and it was so peaceful and I didn't tear. And I was so proud of that because that was my birth plan. <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and she slept like the first few days for four hour stretches. So we just sat there and I caught up on all the fruit. I had a lot of parfaits and rambutan and it was cherry season and coconut water. And I was just eating because I couldn't eat what I wanted to for so long. Mm -hmm. I was just eating and she's sleeping and she nursed so beautifully. Like, because I nursed for three and a half years, I could feel what it felt like. And I was like, this is great. And my milk came in probably three days later. And like, it was just so nice. It was so mm -hmm. beautiful. And I think even now, 
seven months postpartum, I'm just really happy and proud of myself for taking things as slow as they need to be taken. I haven't rushed anything. I've been really graceful with myself. I, you know, I'm happy to be home. I'm happy with my body. I'm happy with my mindset. I'm proud of how I've done things. Everything's just been really magical. I'm, I'm really happy with it. Amazing. Love yeah. hearing that. Yeah. Beautiful. It's been really nice. I love it's been really in the nice. rain. And yeah, it's beautiful. It was a nice setting. The rain was like just the only thing that could have made it better was like fresh baked bread. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. That would make anything better. Well, baked. thank you. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing these. I love these stories. So nice to talk about birth and our birth and so nice to talk to you. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honoured. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralysing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts. Keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and 